Cool. So as Andre mentioned, we're busy in the book of Jonah. So uh, just for interest's sake, how many of you have been here for all three weeks that have come before this? You can put up your hand. Okay, cool. I, I haven't been for all three weeks, so you don't have to feel like is this is a test. Um, yeah, and then I thought maybe um, we could just take literally 10 seconds and just tell the person next to you in one sentence what the story of Jonah is about. 20 seconds. Nine, eight, seven, six, five. Cool, thank you. So uh, let's quickly see. 20 seconds, that's a difficult one. Um, so let's quickly see. Uh, is Jonah about a fish? Put up your hand if you said that, or heard that in the sentence at least. There we go. Jonah's about a fish. Is Jonah about someone who doesn't want to listen? Yes. Put up your hand if you feel that that came through quite strongly. Um, what else? Is Jonah about a compassionate God? Okay. Why I wanted to just do this, because I think for me, for the longest time, and I think I shared it at a community group as well, um, the main thing about Jonah was the fish. That's the, uh, obviously, that's, uh, that was, is what I was taught um, in Sunday school, and that's a thing that stuck with me, um, that... It's like this amazing story of a, someone being swallowed by a fish and then he's alive afterwards. And that's what kind of stuck with me. And, I, and maybe just to, um, to give some credit to Sinatemba there, Sinatemba who listened to my last message, said, hey, I listened to your last message. Here's some resources for your next one. So, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> he, um, he, he directed me to, to some resources that he found valuable. And um, it's basically Tim Mackey, the guy who does the Bible Project videos, who does a series on um, Jonah. And he says, if, if, you, if that's your like, memory or that's what you take out of Jonah, um, he phrases it something along the lines of, you've probably been vaccinated from the power of the real story. You know, because that's where our attention is. Our attention is on the fish and the and Jonah being swallowed and spit out again. But there's actually so much more to the story. Um, and I hope that in the last three weeks, uh, we've seen some of that, and I hope that today I can bring some of that across as well. Can I maybe use that mic? This is echoing. I don't know if it's bothering you, but I can't. <laughs> Right, so let's do a quick recap on not necessarily what the last couple of messages were on, but on what the last three chapters of Jonah was on. Um, so just a couple of background things. Jonah is a prophet of God, and we read about him, we can read about him in Kings. Um, and as I mentioned, if your upbringing was anything like mine, the main story of Jonah that always stuck with me was the fish but there's really so much more to the story. Um, and it's almost, in a sense, more astonishing than someone being swallowed up by a fish and being vomited out again. So, God instructs Jonah to go to Nineveh. So I'm just going to do a bullet point recap of what's happened so far. Um, and God tells Jonah, preach against Nineveh. Nineveh, am I pronouncing that right? N Nineveh, okay. Nineveh. 
um, because his, their wickedness has come up before him. So this idea that God is observing the earth and Nineveh's wickedness has come up before him and he's told Jonah, go and preach against it. And just a note here, something that I learned from that, um, from that term, Mackie, is the Ninevites were not nice people. They were horrible people. Uh, there's actually, they've like archaeological finds of, they, they used to get people to do like, um, almost like rock murals. I don't know what a better word is to explain it, but it would be carved out of rock and it would, it would tell a story and it would tell of, of the, the Assyrian, Nineveh was in the Assyrian Empire, it would tell of all their military exploits. So that when you came into this like castle or kingdom, you would be looking around and you would see all their military exploits, like they conquered these people there and this is how they did it there. And there's actually a, a, a sculpture, rock thing there of one of the sieges of Israel. And what it depicts is how if they captured an Israelite, they would skin them alive. And one of the other things that it depicts is if they captured an Israelite, they would impale them. Um, so basically put, uh, put them on a, on a tree, on a sharp stump of a tree, and then put them on the hills surrounding um, the, the city that they were besieging. So to obviously drive fear into the people that were still inside the wall, saying, look, look at what's happening, what is happening to your people. I just think it's important to know that the, Israel, uh, the Ninevites weren't nice people. They were renowned, or the Assyrian Empire were, was renowned for how brilliant they were in terms of military exploits, but also how brutal they were in terms of mil military exploits. And I'm saying that because I think sometimes we can think like, Jonah, why didn't you go? Just, I mean, just listen to God, just go. But then you get a bit of a better idea when, you know, for all we know, some of those people that were skinned and impaled could have been people that were close to him. Um, that is complete speculation, just to be clear, but it's possible. Um, so you kind of get a little bit more of an understanding of why, why he doesn't want to go to this, these people. Um, they weren't nice people. Okay. Jonah responds by going as far away from Nineveh as possible. That's Jonah's response to God. Um, he, we know he gets on a boat with some pagan sailors. He goes to sleep in the bottom of the boat. A storm arises. They start praying to all the other gods and that, and eventually it comes out that, uh, that Jonah believes that the reason for the storm is because of him. And that if they were to throw him overboard, then the storm would subside and everything would be fine. And it seems nice at first um, that Jonah is, is willing to sacrifice himself, uh, sacrifice himself for the sake of the sailors. But that would be the best thing for him to do if he doesn't want to go to Nineveh, is to jump into the ocean and die, because then he would definitely not need to go. Um, and the other thing is, if you listen to what the sailor's prayer is, Jonah is basically putting his blood on their hands, and they still pray, like, let, let this innocent man, not that he was an innocent man, but let his blood not be on our hands. God sends a fish, a big fish, to swallow up Jonah, and then there's this, this prayer, I think that was last week, um, this prayer, song of praise, where, where Jonah seemingly repents, and I, I say seemingly because of Jonah's actions further on in the book of Jonah. Um, if you read it further, I, I must ask myself, like, was it a, a real true repentance. I'm not saying he didn't know God. I'm saying from, from his actions. And the fish vomits him out onto dry land. It doesn't say where, but it says fish vomits him out onto dry land. And this brings us to where we are this morning. Is it still morning? Yeah. Um, 
So as we read through the text, I'm going to just make a couple of comments of things that I've learned from, uh, from reading and from watching some other people speak on this. So just like I said, Tim Mackey, uh, credit to him. I listened to a very old message of uh, John Piper um, that was also quite helpful, and then a very short, like, guided prayer by a guy called David Platt. Um, so just if you are interested to go and listen to some more things, and um, I found those three people quite helpful. Jonah 3, I think it will be on the screen. Yes. Maybe before we start, let me just pray. Lord Jesus, yeah, we just thank you for this time together. We, we pray, Lord, that uh, yeah, you would break down any ideas that we might have about the story that are not correct. Um, I pray that we would learn from the story what you want us to learn. Would you speak yeah, to us um, through your Holy Spirit, Lord? Uh, yeah, may we learn more of you and, and of your ways. Um, yeah, and, and walk out with a, a new understanding, yeah, at least in part. Yeah, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Cool. Jonah 3. Um, so, it'll be the whole chapter, if I'm not mistaken, but it starts at Jonah 3. So, if you have your Bibles here, you can follow along. Otherwise, it will be on the screen. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Now the question immediately comes is, what was the message? Do we even know what the message was? Because it just says, proclaim to them the message. All we know is what we learn in chapter 1 about the content of the message at least. The idea that the wickedness of Nineveh has come before God and God wants Jonah to preach against it. And if we look at other prophets and, and how they brought messages on behalf of God, it would be logical to assume that the message carried some sort of judgment and consequence, but also a way to avoid that consequence um, by turning away from what they were busy with. So I'm not, I'm not saying that's what's happening in Jonah. I'm saying that's what we can see in other prophets um, where they say, this is what you're doing, this is what you should be doing, turn away from that to this so that this doesn't happen. Does that make sense? Okay. So, that's just the message. Uh, verse 3 then says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. So, as I mentioned, I was, I was listening to a short message of David Platt on Jonah 3, and he was saying how different the book of Jonah could have been if this was Jonah's response at the beginning. Because remember, this is Jonah's second time, or God's second time instructing Jonah to go. So we would have missed out on all that fishy business if he had just gone at the beginning. He also said, David Platt now, that he would like this to be the commentary of his life, or at least the beginning of the commentary of his life. And he challenges us to put our name in there, in that verse. So for me, it would be, and Stephen obeyed the word of the Lord and went to X, Y, Z. Or maybe even just, and Stephen obeyed the word of the Lord. Put your name in there. Do you want that to be the start of your story? And put your name in there, obeyed the word of the Lord. Is that something you desire? Because we all get it wrong. No one sitting here or standing here can say that they have obeyed the word of the Lord to the T, to perfection. And I don't think that anyone here from this day on would be able to say that. Um, but something in, in that, do we want that to be in our legacy? Even though we won't get it right all the time, do we want our legacy at least to be a people that are trying 
constantly turning back to God, trying to obey Him, wanting to obey Him, desiring to obey Him. Okay, back to the Scripture. Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. And Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. And that's all that, um, that Jonah said. Apparently, this message that he brought to Nineveh was only five words long in Hebrew. So, a five-word sermon. And Tim Mackey, as I mentioned, um, in that series of short videos, he has some in interesting thoughts on this sermon, this message of Jonah. And I, I'm going to focus on one of his views on, on this message of Jonah. He believes that Jonah was missing some information. And if we think about it, um, it kind of, you kind of see it. There's, there's a lot missing here. Okay, so we don't know exactly what God told Jonah to say. But if we look at other prophets and other prophets that were sent to bring a message by God, we can quite accurately assume that maybe there should have been some other information in that message. For example, why? Why will Nineveh be overthrown? If that's a message that is brought to the city, is it not important for them to know why? Now, sure, we can say, well, God doesn't have to say why, and that is true. Who sent the message? On behalf of who is Jonah speaking? Who sent him? And maybe what can be done to avoid it? And Mackie believes that because Jonah is such a reluctant messenger, because he didn't want to go, he's kind of what he phrases as um, doing something of a, a, a pro pro prophetic sabotage. So what he, what he means by that is Jonah is going and he's doing the bare minimum to be obedient. It's like... You can see Jonah walking into the city with his shoulders like down, like 40 days, and then Nineveh will be overthrown. And that's all he says. So he's like, okay, I've done what God has asked me to do. I've, I've brought this message. But he's left up, out some important information. So it's almost like he doesn't really want them to turn. He doesn't really want them to, to repent. He doesn't want them to experience God's mercy and God's grace. I don't want to talk about this too much because I think that next week um, we'll cover quite a bit of it in terms of, of that. Um, but I think it is important for what we're going to talk about to know that Jonah, Jonah wasn't keen on on Nineveh being saved. I think that's clear in, in the book. Um, and I think next week, if you are still a little bit, mm, then next week, I, I believe that that will be even more clear. But I don't want to take away from next week. Okay, so let's read further. In verse 5, then it says, after this five-word sermon, and the Ninevites believed God, and a fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. And it's interesting to note that the Ninevites believed God, even though God was not even mentioned. Jonah never said that he was there on behalf of God. The Ninevites seemed to have placed it, pieced it together, even with the limited information that they were given. Verse 6 says, When Jonah's warning reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. This is the proclamation he issued in Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals, herds or flocks, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call urgently on God 
Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. So note that Jonah himself never reached the king. It says that Jonah's message reached the king. And when the message reached the king, that's when the king um, gave this decree and came off of his throne and declared a fast. Um, and people were covered in these, like, I think it's like a Hessian material. I don't know how otherwise to ex- explain it. But it was, it, was a, it was like a symbol to say, like, you know, we are almost mourning in a sense. Where are we? And they repented. Even though Jonah's message didn't include that instruction for them to repent, they repented. And it's quite strange that it says that even the animals were, were instructed, they were instructed, to, the animals weren't even allowed to eat. The animals had to fast. And the animals were covered in sackcloth. And I don't know what the reason for that is, if I'm honest. Um, I think there's probably like books written on it, if, if I can just imagine. Um, I heard like one person saying, you know, like maybe it's because the cows were giving milk to the soldiers that were fighting in the horrible wars. Now the cows must also repent and, and fast. My view, I think it's just like, you know, we, we want to show our, our repentance. We want to show our remorse. You know, it's not, we, we're going even to let, even let our animals stop eating to show, you know, just to, like, God's going to destroy us if we don't turn from our evil ways. So we have to, like, do everything we can. So we're going to also put sackcloth on the animals. They must also stop eating. We must do whatever we can so that we're not destroyed. That is just my opinion, just so that we're clear. Um, yes, okay, I'll leave it at that. When God saw what they did and how they turned from the evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. So just like that, God relents. Relents means that God was going to do this, but because of what he's seen in them, he's not going to do that anymore. God does not send the destruction that he has promised. And I want us to ask ourselves, how does that make you feel? See, for us, it's, it's not so as personal as it is for Jonah, but try and make it personal. Um, that God would be merciful to a wicked people. Do you feel, maybe before I ask this question, put someone else in that place in, of the Ninevites? someone that you may despise, or a people, a people group or organization that's causing a lot of hurt and harm, put them in the place of the Ninevites, and then ask yourself this question. Do you feel, yes, that's my God. That's my God that would be merciful and gracious to a wicked people. Is that, is that your first response Or do we feel that was quite easy to avoid that destruction? I just said to, the people just had to say, well, okay, we're going to turn from our evil ways and we're going to put on sackcloth and we're going to stop eating for a couple of days and now God relents. Remember, these were the people that skinned Israelites alive and impaled them. And they are it's seemingly forgiven just, just like that. So is your feeling maybe more one of like, I'm not sure if that's right. You know, like, yes, forgive them, but maybe they must just face some sort of consequence. Maybe they must just be, you know, before they're just forgiven and God just relents, maybe there must just be some consequence. So if we are in the second category 
which I think realistically most of us will be, then the question that the book of Jonah leads us to ask is, am I okay with God forgiving my enemies and loving my enemies? Am I okay with God forgiving and loving my enemies? What does that make you think of? Does that not make you think of Jesus saying, love your enemy? But are we okay with it if God forgives my enemy and loves my enemy and is merciful towards my enemy? And the story credited to John Piper is similar to the story of the prodigal son. So I'm going to try and summarize the story in in three points and then see how that is very similar to what we see in the prodigal son. So first of all, the, the Ninevites are a wicked people. They are deserving of God's wrath and they are squandering the life that God has given them. Jonah, who knows God, is a prophet of God and in fact he says He knows that God, later on he will say, he knows that God is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. But Jonah does not believe that the Ninevites, the people who are squandering the life that that God has given them, uh, deserve this kind of God. But after God does some convincing with a fish and all of that to to get Jonah to actually go to Nineveh, he goes, they hear a message, and they repent, and God relents. And we will see next week what Jonah does, but I'm going to just give us a little bit of of a heads up. Jonah goes and sulks. Jonah goes and sulks because God has relented. He is upset and sad that God did not do what God said he was going to do. So do you, see, do you see how it is similar to the prodigal son? No? No one? Okay, cool. I'll, I'll go for it. Prodigal son, the Ninevites, goes off and he squanders his father's inheritance. The other son is at home with his father. That's Jonah. Jonah knows, Jonah knows God. Seemingly where his father wants him to be. The prodigal son returns, right? That's the the Ninevites repenting. And the father rejoices. In Jonah's case, the father, God, the father relents. He He doesn't punish them. And he welcomes him home with open arms. And what does the, old, the other son do? I can't remember if it's the oldest son. Was it the oldest son? What does the oldest son do when his father rejoices when his brother returns? And obviously a lot of other things, calf and ring and robe and all of that. But what does the older brother do? He sulks. He's like, you're throwing a feast for him, but I'm here with you. Um. So it's just interesting to see like kind of how there's a parallel between the two stories. Instead of the brother rejoicing with his father about this son who was dead and is now alive, instead of Jonah rejoicing that the Ninevites had turned from their evil ways, the older brother and Jonah, they sulked. They were unhappy because of how the father, how God has responded to these people turning from the evil ways. Should we not be exceedingly glad if a sinner turns from his ways and is saved by God? We, we all, well, those of us that are Christ followers, we'll say, yes, yes, yeah. And that's the right answer. But it's not always that easy. Um, and I think when it gets personal, that's when it becomes difficult. It's easy when I s- see it there thousands of years ago to now say to Jonah, come on, Jonah, just be better. Just listen to God. But when it becomes personal, it becomes more difficult. So I think of a story I heard, and I'm really, I'm paraphrasing here because I don't even know where I heard it or read it. But it was the, 
I'll give the idea of the story rather than saying this was the story. The idea that um, there was a man who went to prison who caused the death of a little girl. And after much time, the mother of this little girl decided that she was going to go to that prison and she was going to go and forgive that man for what he has done to her daughter and to her family. And when she got to the prison and started speaking to the man, he was telling her about how, how God had actually, how he had met God while in prison, and how God had saved him, and how he had experienced God's forgiveness and peace for what he has done. And her response was one of being mad, being upset, like, how can God forgive him? She was, she was ready to, she thought she was ready to forgive him, but when she heard that God had forgiven him before she did, she was upset, and she actually walked away from there not forgiving that man. I don't, has anyone here heard that, that story? No one? Oh, okay. Did I get it? Is that about right? Okay. Um, yeah, so I think it becomes more difficult when it's personal. And there are amazing stories of people doing that exact thing. It was recently one in the last two or three years, I think, of a, a younger brother in the courtroom in America for giving um, I don't know if it was a police officer that shot his, shot his brother dead. And in the courtroom, he like just says, like he, but he forgives her. And the world actually ridiculed that, the younger brother, saying, like, how could you forgive that man? Um, but yeah, so it becomes more difficult when it's personal. So we will see next week a little bit of, about how, how Jonah felt about God being merciful to these people. So let's speak a little bit about judgment. Um, we don't like that word so much. We kind of feel like, I think we feel like, uh, we know that's part of who God is. He, is he, he must judge, but it's not my favorite part. You know, like, on this side we have mercy and grace and love and that is definitely also who God is don't don't get me wrong but does where does judgment fit in and why don't we like to talk about it see we want justice i think all of us can can probably think of at least 5 things just in our city, just in our country, for which we would want justice. And we will say that, yes, uh, a loving God must judge the wicked. But our answer may not be consistent. Why do I say that? Because are we not all wicked? And I want you to answer that question. I'm not just, I'm just, not just saying... Are we not all wicked? And, and then you saying to yourself, well, not me. And then we go on. But is that not what the Bible teaches? Does the Bible not teach that each of us have turned away from God? That each of us have rebelled against God? That each of us have gone astray? Each of us have lied, stolen, cheated, given false testimony? All of us sitting here. And that's the problem. Now, we will say, I remember speaking about this a couple of months ago. We will say, yeah, but, you know, at least, I'm just, I mean, it was a white lie. You know, I, I'm not like this guy. And we always draw the line of, of wrong just above our heads, just above where it's now me doing the wrong thing. And I... I I think it's such a, 
yes, there are, I think there are measures of, of wickedness, you know, like I think me telling a lie and, and someone murdering someone, I, I can't say with uh, complete conviction that those two things are the same. But ultimately, we all fall short. Whether we fall short this far or that far, we all fall short of God's holiness. There's a song that says, if God had to wipe out the wicked, the earth would be vacant. If God had to wipe out the wicked, the earth would be vacant. We have not loved our brothers and sisters. We have not loved our enemies. We have not obeyed God. Does judgment still sound like something we want? Even when we would be on the side of the people that are facing the judgment. So we think love and judgment are opposites. I think there's quite a trend in our generation of saying, yeah, but a loving God will love me like I, like I am, just the way I am. And I think that that's misconstrued to mean that a loving God would allow me to do whatever I want. doesn't matter how harming it is to me or the people around me. Or God will be fine if I treat this person like that because that person treated that person like that. And there's a helpful like analogy of saying like how love and judgment are not opposites. It is because of love that, that there needs to be justice, that there needs to be judgment. So Tim Mackey gives this example of you walking down the street and there's a group of older boys surrounding a younger boy, and you can see, you can see things are not going the right way here. They start pushing him around, and you can see people like they're ripping his lunchbox out of his hand. And your response could be like, ah, oh, boys, you know, let them be. They'll sort it out, and you can walk on. Would that be the loving thing to do in that case? It won't. You would need to make a judgment on the behavior of the boys in that situation. You'd need to make a judgment over their behavior. Is that wrong? Is that unloving to make that judgment? You make that judgment over their behavior, you are acting lovingly towards them. You're acting lovingly towards the boy that is being bullied, and you're acting lovingly towards those boys that are bullying because you are showing them this is not the right way. There's a better way. This is not how you should be living. And you're acting lovingly towards your neighborhood because you are saying, in this neighborhood, we won't stand for that. So, I think it's a simple illustration, but it's a nice illustration of how to think about judgment. Judgment is not the opposite of love. Judgment is done out of love. Right. So we can say that God, God was, was proclaiming a judgment over the Ninevites because He loved those people in that city. So He's making this judgment to say, listen, you are going down a path of destruction. Turn away from that. But for, for them to know that, someone needs to judge their actions. Someone needs to judge them. Okay. We're going to finish off with three stories. Um, and the stories will be put as under three categories. The message, the messenger, and the outcome. We're going to look at Jonah's story, and we're going to look at Jesus' story, and we're going to look at our story. And then we're done. So Jonah's story. The message that Jonah was carrying. What message was Jonah carrying? Jonah was carrying a message of doom and destruction, a message of judgment. Um, because of the wickedness of the Ninevites, 
in 40 days they will be destroyed. And we spoke about how it's possible. Jonah left out some details there. Um, But the point is, the message he was bringing was, you guys are going in the wrong direction, and you are going to be destroyed. The messenger in Jonah's story was? I see like a couple of people, I'm just trying to get you back here. The messenger in Jonah's story was? Jonah. Interesting, in one of the study Bibles, I would like to hear your thoughts on this. It says that the author of Jonah is Jonah. Do you think that's, is that right? We can chat about it afterwards. Jonah did not want to go. So now we're talking about the messenger in Jonah's story. He was a reluctant messenger. He wanted to go the other direction, and he almost drowned, and he almost got digested, and he got vomited out of the fish, and then he obeyed God. He still did not want to go, though. As we see from his actions, and as we will see in the next chapter, he did not want to go. But he did end up going and speaking the message that God had given him. What was the outcome in Jonah's story? You just say it to someone next to you. What was the outcome? The outcome was that the Ninevites believed And they turned from the evil ways, and it says that God saw that they turned from the evil ways and that He relented. He did did not want them. He did not do to them what He said He was going to do to them. And this is in line with God's character that we see in the Bible, that he He does not find pleasure in destroying people or cities in this case. Jonah's reluctant message ended up saving over 120,000 people and animals, including the, not including the animals, but even even the animals. You'll see why I said that eventually. Okay, so that's Jonah. Now Jesus. So we're going to look message, messenger, outcome. What was Jesus' message? You can tell someone. So, Jesus had many teachings, for example, so teachings, for example, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. That would be considered one of his teachings, but what was his message? Jesus' message was the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. Some of his first recorded words in Matthew were, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Later in Matthew, he speaks about first seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you, for you. He speaks about no one being able to get to the Father except through him, and that if we knew him, Jesus, we would know the Father as well. So Jesus' message was about the coming of God's kingdom. And he was gathering a people for this coming kingdom and calling people to follow him and turn from their old way of living to living and thinking to a new way of living and thinking. So let's look at the messenger, Jesus. Was he a reluctant messenger? Was it difficult for him? So Jesus was not a reluctant messenger. He, I think, he still says he, he comes and he lays his life down on his own accord. He brought the message of God's kingdom, kingdom of heaven and salvation, and even though it would cost him dearly, even though the people that he brought it did not deserve it, even though he would be making many enemies by delivering this message, it cost him much suffering. He was ridiculed. He was mocked, he was abused, and it cost him his life. But our messenger, Jesus, was not a reluctant messenger. What was the outcome of Jesus' message? So the immediate outcome of Jesus' message was his death and crucifixion. 
that all that suffering, everything that he went through, that was the immediate outcome. But it also meant that many, many, many wicked people would experience God's forgiveness and mercy. That many people, including myself, including many of us here, would be reconciled to God and that they can look forward to a new kingdom, a kingdom without hurt and tears and pain and suffering, and that they could be a part of this people. Jesus' loving and willing obedience to delivering this message is still available for us today. We can still be reconciled to God. We can still be a part of God's kingdom. I always think of people that I, that I pray for, and I think, well, they are still alive, which means they can still be reconciled to God. We can still be forgiven, and we can still be a part of the people that will inhabit God's kingdom for eternity. We must accept God's loving judgment, loving judgment over our lives and our ways that we need to turn from our ways and follow His way, which is a better way. Trust in Him that His judgment is for our good. And if you have not done this, don't you just want to come and chat to me afterwards? If you feel like God is, is saying something to you this morning, don't you just want to come chat to me about that this morning after the service? And finally, us. We're going to look at our message. We're going to look at ourselves as messengers. And we are going to look at a possible outcome of our message. So, when I say us, I'm referring to people that consider themselves Christ followers. People that not only call themselves Christ followers, but that as Jesus said, those of you, if you love me, you will do what I say, basically. People that not only say it, but that they do what God wants them to do. They do what Jesus wants them to do. I'm not by any means saying that we always get it right, but that is our striving. We're striving to be more like Jesus. We're striving to do what He wants us to do. So as Christ follows, we also have a message that is entrusted to us, which we commonly call the gospel, the good news. Um, and Jesus' message is our message. And I think it's summed up nicely in the Great Commission. In Matthew 28, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, to the very end of the age. Our message is Jesus' message. Jesus says, go and teach them everything that I have taught you. But not only teach them that, teach them to obey that. Teach them to obey what I have taught you. The messenger, us. We are all Jonas good news. And by that I mean we are all imperfect messengers. I just always think of Moses when I think about an imperfect messenger. He was also reluctant just by the way. He didn't want to go. But as we just saw, Jesus says that he is with us until the end of the age. We can't wait until we are perfect to be obedient. Because we won't be perfect in this life. We must trust that as we are obedient to what God is asking us to do, that God is faithful and that He will give us the words to speak when we need it. So Jesus wants us to do what He said 
He says that the people who know him will do what he says. So what is the possible outcome of being obedient and delivering this message? The possible outcome, just like in Jonah, is that we get to be a part of God's people who are a gathering, who are gathering a people, a church, a body for His new kingdom. That many wicked people would know Jesus and His saving grace and that they would have an opportunity to turn from the way that they are going to a better way. A way that leads to life and not destruction. A final word on this is This is not a once-off thing. Putting our trust in God and His ways, turning from ways that are not in line with Him, is something we are going to have to do daily for the rest of our lives. We're going to find ourselves, someone's, hopefully, someone that loves you makes a judgment to say, Andre, I don't think you're going in the right direction. I'm telling you this because I love you. And that judgment says, well, I'm not, maybe I'm not. And we turn away from that. And tomorrow, there's another thing. Um, but we can take heart that we can, as long as we're alive, we have a chance to turn away from from our ways and to turn towards God and to strive towards living more like Him. Cool. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Yeah, I just pray, Lord, as, yeah, as we go out of here that it wouldn't just be another Sunday. And I know we pray this every Sunday, Lord. Um, but yeah, I want to have faith for what you can do in our lives. And yeah, we just pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. Show us, show us what it is you want us to hear from this morning's message. Open our, our hearts to judgment from you and from people close to us. You are loving judgment, Lord. Yeah, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.